As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. I am Charlie Romeliotis, joined by James Naveau. James, you, we're back and you got the same clock in the background. I dig it. I dig this new scenery. It, incidentally, I think it might be the exact same time we started the last podcast, too. So it's almost like nothing has changed except uh, the ensemble, <laughs> I believe. Yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> we, have, we have a fun we have a fun show today. Obviously, uh We'll talk about the boring game against the Saint or the uh, LA Kings on Sunday night. Um, but m- most importantly, we're gonna we had Kyle Davidson, Blackhawks general manager, on the pregame show, and we're gonna air the whole interview on this podcast later on, and then we'll kind of dissect it, react to it, give our thoughts. Um, but first, we'll give our thoughts on uh, Charlie's attire during the interview too. We're gonna grade the look. Oh boy, um, <laughs> I, I didn't have a pocket square, and I was a little uncomfortable about it. I wasn't. I wasn't happy about how the pocket square was sitting because that specific suit jacket uh, has like a deep pocket. And mm-hmm. so it kept kind of sinking. So before I left, I was like wrestling with whether or not to keep this pocket square. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ditch the pocket square for this show. I think you ultimately made the right call. I thought the uh, <laughs> what what kind of knot was that in the tie? Was that the half Windsor that you had going on? Uh, I, I it's, <laughs> it's a generic. Like, I didn't really do anything crazy with it. I, I know our listeners don't care about that, but I, I always enjoy giving you a little bit of grief. But I will also say you looked very uh, dapper last night, sir. Good job. Thank you. Thank you, James. But you know what wasn't dapper last night, James? The, anything about the game. Literally. Anything about the game. I think it almost put me to sleep by the time the second period rolled around. That was probably the most uh, That was probably the most boring game of the season. Would you agree? Or at least it's got to be up there. It's got to be in the, it's got to be on the Mount Rushmore. You would think Um, they, it took them what 14 minutes, I think to even get a shot on goal last night. And I know they struggled to get shots on goal early against St. Louis too. It just so happened that the first two they got in that game actually went in. So that it was kind of a difference in that regard, but yeah, the, the Kings are a team that I, they've really made it a point to be tough to play against in the middle of the ice, especially they short circuit a lot of rushes. They're a really solid, def- solidly built defensive team. They've got some questions in goal, of course, mm-hmm. but just that defense is relentless. And they they made the Blackhawks look completely out of sorts throughout that game. Honestly, I think the Hawks only ended up with I think it was 18 or 19 shots on net. Like they just could not get anything going up the ice. Patrick Kane once again was held without a shot on goal. Um, it just overall, the offensive effort last night was just not there because of what the, I think partly because of what the Kings were doing. Maybe the Blackhawks ran out of gas a little bit after the you know, game against St. Louis the night before, but Whatever the case was, you were falling asleep in the press box. I was kind (laughs) of dozing in and out on the couch, flipping between that and the football game, which was also not all that great. So not a great sports night overall, but specifically with the Blackhawks. Yeah, that is definitely in the running for just biggest snooze fest, man. We had dual dual monitors in the in the suite that we were set up for the the pre intermissions and post game show. And we had the Blackhawks game on the left. 
and or we had the Blackhawks game on the right and we had the football game on the left and it felt like we were watching the football game more than we were the hockey game at, mm-hmm. at times. Um, so I don't blame you there for, for channel flipping. Um, I, I did want to talk about, do you remember James in 2017 after the Blackhawks got swept by Nashville, Patrick Kane, he like basically like came out and said like, they, they play like a boring style of hockey, right? It was, <laughs> it was like, they, they play that one, three, one. Yeah. That's what LA plays. And it feels like a lot of times LA is just involved. Actually, this year has been, has been different because they've been wildly inconsistent, yep. especially for the first half of the year. So they have been in some high scoring games, but as of late, like the last month or so, they've been really, really good defensively. And it's, but they do just play like a boring style of hockey when they do, when you were mentioning the neutral zone, they play that one, three, one, like, it's just, it's not conducive to, to the way Chicago wants to play. Like they like to, they have players like Patrick Kane and, and Jonathan Taves and Max Domi and Andreas Athanasiu, like these speed type players, they want to, they want to break out the puck and try to enter the zone with, with a rush. Yeah. Um, but when you play the run three, one, three, one, it has to, you know, you have to dump the puck in and have to go chase it. And it's just, you know, I'm sure the Blackhawks don't really like playing that game because it is boring. You mentioned Patrick Kane going second straight game without a shot on goal. I, I, I haven't fact checked this yet, but Mario Tirabassi had tweeted that after the game saying this is the first time in his NHL career that Patrick Kane has ever gone back to back games without a shot. Like that is, I mean, one that sounds true because I, I'm not sure when, you know, P- Patrick yeah. Kane has ever gone. Like I, I had to look up when the last time he actually had a, he didn't have a shot in one game, let alone back to back games. <laughs> That, that's that's pretty crazy. And I'm sure Patrick Kane is obviously aware of that too, that he he just hasn't been facilitating these last couple of games. Yeah, and I'm wondering what you, you obviously are there, you know, in person last night, kind of watching the flow of the game. And I just didn't, I didn't see him getting into a whole lot of like high danger type areas last night. I'm not sure if that was just um, a byproduct of just kind of the boring style of play that LA kind of imposed on the game, or if he just really wasn't getting into those areas and was kind of sticking to the periphery. Is that an unfair characterization of how he was playing last night? Yeah, no, that I think that's fair. And I think it's, that's just the way LA plays too. So it's hard to kind of crack that defensive structure. Mm-hmm. I will say this though. I thought he had a really good game against Philadelphia. Like he, he was generating chances he was creating. So it's not like he was invisible or he yeah. has been invisible. Um, I know Luke Richardson talked before the game on Sunday, uh, you know, just at, he was asked about Kane's health and whether that has been playing a role. And, and Luke Richardson basically said Kane is close to a hundred percent again. I'm not sure I totally buy that. Like, I still think Kane has been dealing with a nagging injury for a while. Um, but I do think it's at a point where it's probably as healthy as it's been this year. I saw him a few games ago get hit along the boards. It might have actually been his first game back from the injury or his second. It was one of those two. And I was paying close attention to when when specifically he got hit along the boards. And there were two times in, in one game where he got hit that I might that I thought Ooh, that might re-aggravate and it didn't look like it phased him at all. And then I stared at him while he was going to the bench to see if he made any, you know, to see if he was on the bench wincing or anything. And he didn't, he looked totally fine. Like he just kind of staring at front, looking at the play. He wasn't kind of like stretching anything or whatever. So I, I don't have serious concerns about that, but I, I do think Kane's probably not at a hundred percent. I think he's maybe just closer to it. 
I think that's why it is so noticeable that he was kind of absent from the score sheet and the stat sheet as a whole after those two games was because of how much he imposed his will on that Philadelphia game. I thought that Mm -hmm. I thought he drove so much of the offense in that game. It was some of the best hockey we had seen Patrick Kane play all year. I know that he's kind of had an up and down season, but that really kind of seemed to be the zenith and he was at the height of his powers and looked like the old Patrick Kane was getting sarcastic with Max Domi when Domi stole the puck from him (laughs) on the rush like that it's just stuff like that it all looked like very Patrick Kane-ish and then these last two games have been the complete opposite of that and by the way uh, while you were kind of breaking down uh, the systemic stuff that was going on with the Kings and everything I did look it up the last time Patrick Kane went without a shot on goal was last December against the Islanders. So it's been more than a calendar or December of 2021, I should say. So it's been more than a calendar year since he had been held without a shot in a game, much less having that happen two games in a row. Right. No question. The other unfortunate storyline that came out of Sunday's game was Tyler Johnson leaving the arena in a walking boot. We obviously know that he dealt with an ankle sprain earlier in the year and you know, it obviously knocked him out for a month and a half. And then he kind of re-aggravated it um, after he returned for a couple games. And so now the fact that he re-aggravated it again, I, I went back and looked at his last shift. I don't know if that's the shift it happened on. He went mm-hmm. into the boards and it looked like it looked like his legs went in there a little bit awkwardly, but it wasn't it wasn't enough where I'm like, ooh, like that something happened there. So I think it might have I think he got tripped to on LA's first goal of the game. So I don't know if it was just kind of like compounded, right? I was actually going to say that A should have been a penalty, like just an egregious miss by the officials there. I thought he was very clearly tripped. That should have been a penalty. But B, yes, that is absolutely where I had thought that he potentially may have kind of tweaked it a little bit. And then maybe as the game went along, it like tightened up on him or whatever. But yeah, that was that was definitely the moment that I thought was probably the most likely culprit. Um, I also want to uh, throw a little bit of shade at Pat Boyle since he's not here today on our last (laughs) podcast. He mentioned that this team looks completely different and completely better when Tyler Johnson's in the mix because they can slot in everywhere. Do we call this a Pat Boyle curse, Charlie? This <laughs> I was might be say, a thing. Was it was it a little jinx there? I don't know. I don't know. We can <laughs> we can send uh we can send Tyler Pat's number and and have him take it up with him. Yep. Um <laughs> but yeah, and and Tyler too, I, I guess the good thing about this is like so he's not gonna join the team for the three game road trip prior to the, the all-star break, yep. but then they, they have the bye week and then the all-star weekend. So he'll essentially have two weeks to really just lay off the ankle and get it fully healthy. So when the Blackhawks are on the other side of it, you know, in a couple of weeks, he'll probably be ready to go. So yep, I guess that's a good news. You also mentioned, by the way, and I wasn't, we didn't have this on the agenda, but I wanted to bring it up. You, you talked about how that, that probably should have been a penalty with Tyler Johnson being tripped. The Blackhawks have had, okay. I don't count the, power play that they got with 22.3 seconds left on Sunday. Okay. I also, I also, I'm glad you brought that up because don't let me forget about this. Cause I'm an okay. old man and I do, I have, I had a rules question for you because of, I saw somebody on Twitter had brought up an interesting idea about that late game power play, but I'm sorry. I did not mean to interrupt your train of thought. I just didn't want to forget. Okay. No, no, no. All good. I, I have an idea where you're going to go with this, but if we exclude that power play, that was at with 22 seconds left, the Blackhawks have had only four power plays over their last four games. That is that is a ridiculous. Okay, so I, I feel like it's a two-parter. It's one, the Blackhawks are 
maybe got to work harder at drawing penalties, but two, mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing that there have only been four minor infractions over the course of <laughs> 240 minutes of hockey. Am I yeah. crazy to think that? Like if, if we go back and watch every game and dissect it, I feel like part of it is on the officials not calling the game, right? I, I would have to say so. And I'm I'm wondering, like, I'm sure people might be like, oh, well, maybe the officials are tightening up a little bit. Maybe they were calling too many penalties. Au contraire, because I was watching the end of that Devils Penguins game yesterday when they went to overtime and they flagged. I think it was the Penguins for a too many men penalty. That was one of the most kind of borderline too many men penalties I've ever seen called in a three on three overtime. The officials totally caught and it. It was, I will, I will say he immediately jumped into the play and then got the puck. Like the guy was off the ice, but then he got the puck, but the officials were clearly saying, look, you benefited from that early jump. I'm just saying they're not tightening up too much. I feel like the Blackhawks probably have a legit beef, even though they probably don't draw a ton of penalties because they're not usually the team that has the long sustained possessions. They're not getting a whole slew of odd man chances. That number still just doesn't sit right with me. I feel like there may have been a few things missed, but that Johnson one is a really good example of one that should have definitely been called. Yeah. And I think there might've been two. I think Ian Mitchell might've gotten high sticked on, on one of the, on one of the on one of the goals or on one of yeah the one of LA's goals so I yeah. that also was just like all right there's another missed call <laughs> I feel like where you were gonna go with your with your other uh, with your point that you didn't want me to forget was the icing the icing on the delayed penalty is that what you were saying actually that that is an interesting one but no that was not what I was gonna say so wait before before you do yours so Let the what what really know. Yeah, yeah. So what happened at the end of the the with 22 seconds left, the Blackhawks got a uh, there was a delayed penalty call, and Max Domi just he just flung the puck into the offensive zone because he wanted he wanted LA to touch the puck so they can yep. have a a six on four opportunity. Well, he was behind the red line, so it was it was essentially an icing, but it was when when LA touched the puck, you know, technically it was a power play. So LA was like, well, what the heck? Why did you call or like the 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 faceoff shouldn't be in the offensive zone. It should be. I'm pretty sure in that sin- instance, the the uh, is. I think the faceoff should take place in the neutral zone, not the offensive zone. You would think, yeah, right. That would so make I sense. Think, yeah. So anyway, um, something was, similar to that right. happened in the um, Edmonton and uh, who are they playing? Tampa Bay. Uh, the the Oilers were gonna get. It was a delayed penalty on the Lightning, so the game was going to basically end with Edmonton on the power play because they were already up two goals and Tampa just wouldn't touch the puck. And Edmonton got really ticked off about it because they were like, uh, what are you guys doing? We're just going to let these last 35 seconds run off the clock and not call anything. Finally, the officials did. And then Edmonton, (laughs) it was so funny. Edmonton had like 25 seconds left in the game. They got the power play and they're up two goals and they're just firing away, trying to score a goal. (laughs) It was like they were really ticked off at the lightning. I thought that was hilarious. That's funny. But what were you going to say? Is that what you were going to bring up? No, no. I love how we just kind of kept going down rabbit holes. Um, What I was going to bring up was this idea that I had seen. I can't I I apologize to the person I follow on Twitter that I saw this from and I'm not going to be able to cite them because I'm an idiot and I forgot when the Blackhawks got a penalty with 22 seconds left in the game and they have that power play and the Kings are, you know, barely up and they're trying to hold on. 
do you think that the time of the game should be extended until that power play ends? Like, should the game have been extended a minute and 38 seconds? No. <laughs> Why not? It's, I mean, it's not much of a punishment if you're committing a penalty with like 20 seconds left. Like, oh, I only have to kill off like, you know, 15, 20 seconds of power play and this game's over. Like, wouldn't it disincentivize teams from committing penalties in the last two minutes of a game if that happened? Well, why did why does that team deserve an extra minute and 47 seconds of power play time when they <laughs> couldn't score more than one goal in the first 59 and a half minutes? <laughs> For the record, I do agree with you, but I also think there is a certain logic to it that the I guess the punishment is less severe than it would be at any other time in the game because you only have to kill X amount of time on that power play instead of the full two minutes. Like I can see the logic of that, but I, I think I agree with you. I mean, the, the clock is there for a reason. Let's not, uh, as much as I love soccer, let's not soccer this thing. Yeah. So while it was a interesting idea that came across your Twitter feed, I, I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to vote. No, if, if it got presented in the cutting room and of the general manager's, uh, meeting. Yeah. I'm gonna I honestly, now. I would love to know what our listeners would have to say about that too, because I feel like that's a, it, it seems on its face, like, of course you wouldn't. And then it's like, well, maybe like it's one of those. So I would love to know what people think about that. Well, could you imagine like this happens in the Stanley cup final of game seven? Well, but also talk, talk about well, a time you want to disincentivize the team from committing a penalty though. Like you, you just railroad a dude with 20 seconds left in the game, just like crush him in the corner of the ice. Like, yeah, you're going to think twice about doing that. If you have to come, you kill off an entire two minute penalty. Okay. But what happens if during that extra two minutes that they extend it, there's another penalty. And now we're back at even strength is now the game over. See, there there you go. I would think that probably yes. Or no, you wouldn't be because then the other team has to get a power play at the end of it then. So then you're just you're perpetuating the game at that point. People people are listening to this podcast right now and they're like, "What are they talking about?" What like we literally podcasted 2 days ago, man. There's only so much that happened in Blackhawks land during that time. Touche. <laughs> so let's actually get to the the reason why people are probably listening to this podcast and yes. it's because we had Blackhawks general manager Kyle Davidson on the pregame show. And the interview lasted about eight to nine minutes. And we obviously started with the futures of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. And when Kyle expects to meet with both of their camps, let's throw the full interview over right now to Blackhawks general manager Kyle Davidson. Our pleasure to welcome in the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, Kyle Davidson. Just heard from Patrick. That was a conversation we had last week. You guys spoke before the holidays. Uh, what's the latest on when you guys will get together again with both uh, John and Patrick and Paprasan, their agent? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, whether whether we're approaching the deadline or not, I think it's always healthy to, to have a pulse of your locker room and chat with your leadership group, no matter the circumstances. But I think we, we plan on meeting the next couple of weeks here to get a sense of where everyone's at, you know, how they're feeling as we approach the deadline and then, uh, you know, constant communication with Pat. And, you know, not only just on Patrick and Jonathan, but he's got a lot of clients. And so we're we're always talking about how the guys are doing, how they're feeling. And uh, and then, you know, obviously specifically on Patrick and Jonathan, we'll get uh, we'll get in person with them shortly. So what do you hope that, to get out of those conversations? I know you've probably been having dialogue back and forth mm -hmm. a little bit throughout the year. It, we kind of all make, you know, what do Patrick and Jonathan want to do? But, like, from your standpoint, 
you know, what what might they want to hear from you guys? Like, what kind of tug or war might that be? Yeah, you know, I think it's just it's just kind of honest dialogue where we see where we see the team, what our plan is, and what what we kind of want to uh, do moving forward, and and then get their thoughts on that, and get their thoughts on on what what they intend to do because they're they're in full control of, of their destinies as as um, you know they've earned the right to to be, and so. Uh, you know, just want to get a sense of where they're at, what they think about the team, and 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 uh, what what their wishes are moving forward. So we'll get a better sense of that in uh, in short order. Jeff Merrick on Hockey Night in Canada last night uh, reported that Kane and Taze are going to take their time before they decide if they're going to execute their no movement clause and agree to a trade. And and he pinpointed mid February. Is that the timeline you understand, or, or you think you you will be following uh, along with them? You know, we don't really have anything mapped out specifically, uh, that that's for sure. But uh, it, logically, I think around that time would make sense. You, you have to you have to give some buffer in the event, uh, you know, there, there is interest in exploring what's out there. And so you've got to give yourself some time. And, and I think that would be, uh, you know, uh, around the, the period in which we would want to have an answer one way or another. Yeah. How, how do you approach the, the deadline not knowing what Patrick and Jonathan, what the futures hold for them? Do you have like a whiteboard where you're like, if Patrick returns, it's this. If Jonathan returns, it's this. If they both return, like how, how do you kind of have to navigate it as a general Yeah, manager? you've got to be really agile and, 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 you know, able to adapt to different situations. That's just the nature of the position. And so we're always working through different scenarios, but never getting too entrenched in one uh, scenario, especially when there's so much uncertainty involved. So what do you personally attribute to the success that we've been having, you know, these last, you know, this little span here? Yeah, I think I think it's a, a testament to the, the character in the in the room, first of all, you know, because we started out and had a good a good start to the season, and then we went through some tough times, and uh, I think it shows the, the, the resilience of the group to, to turn that momentum around uh, and turn things into a a little positive run here but um you know what we've got production up and down the lineup that's that's been the key for me is we're not relying on just a, a small handful of players there's been contributions from everyone from the first line to the fourth line and balanced scoring is uh is going is gonna to result in, in some positive results, and, and, and we've seen that lately, so it's been good. You had your amateur scouting meetings last week. Um, I know, don't, you're not going to reveal the board, but I, do you have a good idea how the top of that draft board looks after talking to, to the scouts? I think we have a good sense of how it looks right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, your, your meetings are always a, uh, a point in time. Uh, they're a measure of, of the, the draft here so far, and I think... It's a really exciting draft, obviously at the top, but there's depth in this draft, and there, there's there's players, uh, you know, deeper than than you usually see, and so there's there's going to be some quality quality NHL contributors coming out of this draft uh, moving forward, especially late in the first, second, third. There's there's some nice players here. I know we talked after you guys sent back Lucas Reichel to Rockford, but just for people that maybe missed it, what went into that decision, and why do you guys benefit? Or, you know, why is Rockford a really uh, an area where you guys where you want to develop those kind of players as opposed to the NHL. Yeah, I think you know, first of all there's been so much positive progress for Lucas and and a number of our other prospects this year and and we want to keep that momentum going. Uh, we want to be able to play them in situations that uh, they not, they wouldn't necessarily get to play here. Uh, you know, leadership roles, big minutes, key situations uh, and and playing for a team that's that's going to make a push to the playoffs. They've 
struggled a little bit the last uh, little while, but uh, for the most part, they've been they've been uh, really strong, and I think there's there's some really important games uh, that they'll see down the road here. When you set out to name the new head coach of the Blackhawks and uh, you know start a a new culture change here. You said you didn't want a stopgap. You wanted somebody for the long haul, and you decided on Luke Richardson. Now that you've seen what he's done the first few months, I remember what he said at the introductory press conference. I'm going to make Kyle's life difficult. He's been making life Kyle's life difficult the last uh, couple of weeks, at least. He, he, Luke's been awesome. He's been so great. He's, he's unbelievable to work with day to day, to see him work with the players, to see him motivate the team. Uh, and one of the things that, that Luke said from the start is, you know what, we, we might see some tough times, but it's about stopping those tough times and getting on a good run. And that's something we've seen in the middle of the season here. I don't think, you know, a lot of people from the outside looking in expected what we've done lately. And that's that's not only, um, you know, a testament to the players, but it's a testament to the coaches and getting uh, getting the room to believe. And, and that's that's what the coaches have done, creating a positive culture. They're excited to come to work every day, and, and you, see, uh, you see those positive results when... Uh, when we get some some good on ice results uh, like we have the last little while. I know Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, they've obviously garnered all the attention when it comes to the trade deadline, but what about some of the other players on the roster? A lot of guys are having some decent years. Do you expect the phone lines to pick up soon? And if not now, when do you feel like you'll, your line will start to be ringing? Yeah, I, I, I'd assume it's gonna start you know picking up soon, just you know general interest and teams doing their due diligence. And um, you know what, we've, we've made a conscious effort to bring some high character players into Chicago and and that was intentional and uh, you know that they're they're players that are valued throughout the league so I'm sure we'll get some some calls and we'll kind of see what comes our way and make make uh, our decisions from there I do think you did a great job of bringing in those high character players. you can just see it like pretty team guys all the way up and down the lineup and I think it's been showing after some hard times you guys went through so I just want to credit you for doing a good job oh, thank of you bringing that in sorry GMs usually don't get compliments no it's very nice yeah I come more often thank you how about Jackson Stauber I mean your fifth different goalie to start for the right. Hawks this year and you know goes out there first game and he gets his first NHL win his folks are in the stands in St. Louis um, you know this is the kind of stories that pop up from time to time and uh and kind of are a reflection of, of where you're at as an organization as far as how you've scouted and how you've developed players yeah it was it's just a great moment for jackson and his family and first you know nhl start gets the win with his family in the crowd um you know we were jackson's a, a player that that we were excited to to sign out of providence college last year and um you know had some good games in rockford and we've had to call on him a little more than expected uh, early on in his professional career, but what an exciting moment! And, and those are those are the kind of things that get the get the boys fired up and get the the locker room excited. And you want to play for moments like that, and that way you could see that after the game in the locker room, just great atmosphere. Got to ask you how things are going with Willa uh, at home and uh, the GM of the household, Angelica. How's she doing? Yeah, my wife's the best. I, I'm I'm so lucky to have. Uh, have her man in the household, and Willa's doing great. She's uh, she's keeping us up late at night, so I get to watch the replays of the Blackhawks games with her uh, in my arms. And so, no, she's she's been uh, fantastic. Wife's been doing unbelievable, and we're just uh, we're really lucky to be entering that new exciting phase of our lives uh, here re recently. All right, James. 
What'd you take away from it? Well, first of all, we kind of knew that Kyle Davidson would say a lot of words without saying much at all about the futures of Kane and Taves. Those are obviously discussions that he wants to keep under wraps and he's not going to want to tip the team's hand or anything. And I thought that he did a good job of kind of tiptoeing around that stuff. The one the one part of that whole discussion that I really kind of latched on to when I was listening to it was that he repeatedly made sure to emphasize that ultimately it is Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves' decision because they have those no-movement clauses. And I know that we've discussed that fairly often on the show, and we've had discussions about who they would maybe waive it for and who they wouldn't, and we kind of came to the conclusion that they would probably come up with a, a list of a few teams they'd be willing to relocate to. But I just thought that was really interesting that he kept bringing that up in that context of, well, this is ultimately their decision. And it's one of two things. One, it's he really does think that there is a chance that they may say, well, we want to stay. Or there is a chance that he doesn't want to deal with the backlash maybe from Blackhawk fans if the team does end up deciding to trade Kane and or Taves because he's like, well, it wasn't my call. It was their call. Like, I I think it's more likely the former. I think that it's, you know, just a very simple summation of what's going on. But you can't help but wonder the number of times he brought it up. If maybe a little bit of column B kind of came into that, too. Yeah, I I know we always make a big deal out of what Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves want to do. And I respect how Blackhawks general manager Kyle Davidson has gone about this, where he says, we're going to respect whatever they want to do. If they want to be here, great. If not, you know, we'll we'll work with them to find a potential uh, opportunity for them to either go win a Stanley Cup somewhere or to have the possibility to re-sign with a potential team, right? But if I'm Patrick and Jonathan too, I also want to hear from Kyle like where we would fit into the picture if we were to stick around, right? I, you know, like we obviously hear Kyle saying, you know, we want to get a feel for what they want. Like they hold all the cards, they control their own destinies, but, you know, but, but I, I think, I think, and this is what's going to be important inside that closed door, closed room meeting when they all, when they meet, whether it's together or separately is, you know, what, what Kyle's plan is if they do both want to stick around, because I'm sure both of them, you know, I think Patrick Kane maybe more specifically, because I, I feel like he has a longer shelf life like in, in the, the for the rest of his career like i could see him playing until he's 40 so yeah. like, i'm sure kane wants to know like where do i fit in here if, if i like do you guys actually want me to stick around or are you guys just going to accept that i might be around if i want to stay mm-hmm. so i think that's where there should be some healthy dialogue between both sides not just all right patrick jonathan what do you want to do like I, I think there legitimately is going to be a dialogue between the two that like, where patrick and jonathan actually want to hear from chicago's side where we would actually fit into the puzzle if we were to stick around. And I do think one of the key things you said there was there will be a dialogue. And he did mention that, you know, that mid-February, kind of assuming it'll be in mid-February when they broach this topic and kind of make the final decision on whether or not they're going to seek out a trade for either or both of the players. I think that... Those discussions, I think it's pretty clear they haven't happened yet. I don't think that Kyle Davidson would be, you know, you know, lying or, you know, misdirecting or whatever. I don't think Kane and Taves would be talking about a future discussion. I think that that I think that discussion will happen. I don't think Kyle Davidson's going to walk into that room and say, we really need you guys to 
get traded. Like, I think that he knows that if they don't want to move, they're not going to move. I don't think he's going to risk the goodwill that he has amongst the fan base to, you know, force those guys out of town. I think that that discussion is going to happen. I don't think he's going to be super public about what ends up being said, though. Like, unless they stick around, I think they maybe will get a little more insight. But I think that he'll he'll probably play it coy unless that is the ultimate end game. I think that that's going to be a discussion he's going to want to keep between him and Patrick and Jonathan and then Pat Brisson as well. So I, I definitely think it's important to note that he this discussion has not happened yet. But I cannot imagine a scenario where he's just going to go in that room and badger them and be like, look, guys, you need to get the heck out of here. <laughs> I was actually thinking about this the other day. How do you think this is going to go down when Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Pat Brisson, and Kyle Davidson do talk? And let's just say hypothetically it's bo- both scenarios. One, we want to stay. Or two, you know, we want to we want to get moved and whatever opportunities present. Do you think there's going to be like a press release that goes out to indicate Hey, this is what came out of the meeting, or do you think it's just going to be, hey, Patrick Kane just got traded? You know, right. like how, how is is there going to be some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know if maybe if it becomes public, then it probably you probably lose leverage uh, in a right. way. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's you not know. like you know, it's it's not going to be a secret because NHL insiders are going to find out. Hey, Patrick Kane requested a trade to one of these three teams. I mean, it all came out with Claude Giroux and he wanted out of Philadelphia, right? Like that's, right. it's going to happen if that ends up happening. So I think there could be an argument for it's been mutually decided that Patrick would like to pursue other opportunities this season. There might be a good, that that might be a good thing for the Blackhawks to do. I don't think they'll do it. I think they'll let the you know rumor mill swirl as it might. And I highly doubt Kyle Davidson's going to be talking much to you guys after that meeting takes place. I don't think you'll see his face again until after the trade deadline. But I, I think that that would be a really interesting way to kind of short circuit some of that and to kind of frame it in the way that they want to frame it. I don't think they'll do it, but it's definitely an interesting thought to like put out a press release and basically say, hey, here's what the outcome was. Like, we're going to try to accommodate it, whatever. I, I don't think it'll happen, but it'd be interesting. Right. But then, you know, but then I was wrestling with this, too. Like, the alternative is you put out this press release and then I don't want to say one of them changes their mind, but like what happens if like an injury occurs or whatever? Now a team doesn't want to trade for them. And now it's like, oh, we put out this press release and they're actually going to be sticking around. And now we've created this awkwardness. Well, they're going to be sticking around for a month and a half. Like it's not like the season's going to last too much further than, you know, the trade deadline like that. And they're free agents at the end of the year. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, eh, if something bad happens, you know, I guess like it's not the worst thing in the world because they're going to be free agents anyway. The big question I have, like the big question is if either one of them say we don't want to move, we want to stay in Chicago, we want to kind of see how the cards shake out with the the draft lottery and everything. Do you just start saying, hey, what kind of cap number are you going to want if you want to stick around? Do you start even like broaching the idea of a contract extension at this point? Or would you wait until the end of the season and after the draft lottery to kind of start exchanging those numbers? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's definitely not. It's probably a conversation that's going to happen after the trade deadline. Like I, if let's just say in mid-February, both both parties agree to or, you know, like if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays decide they want to stick around. I don't think that's going to be a time where they start to negotiate 
contract extensions if there if that's a possibility because I'm sure Kyle Davidson is going to have other fish to fry when it comes to some other players on his roster. Yeah, but I think after the trade deadline, and I'm I'm sure Kyle will probably get a sense of what they want too. Like Patrick and Jonathan might tell them, hey, like I'll. You know, I want to see how the lottery shakes out before we maybe circle back or I want to, you know, let's let's discuss right at the end of the season or, you know, how after during exit interviews and, and then we can kind of broach it. Uh, but I do think actually the the draft lottery happens like the first week of the playoffs. So it's it's like it's like trade deadline, but then the draft lottery is going to be there within basically like a month and a half. So it should be. I, I, there's not a firm date yet for the draft lottery, but it typically is like the first week of the, of the Stanley cup playoffs. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I'm sure we'll get a more of a crystal picture uh, after the lottery. Um, and you know, if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays are be are here beyond the March third trade deadline, they can kind of see how things play out. Well, the draft lottery last year happened on May 10th. Um, so just just for our viewers uh, and listeners uh, perspective, that is when the draft lottery took place. So it's a little bit after the season. It may not be like right when the season ends, but it's still fairly close. So you have until July to start working these deals out. They moved the uh, free agency period back to July 1st, didn't they? Yeah. So the NHL draft is happening on whatever it is, June 28th, 29th. And then it's yep. like off. It's like free agency is a day and a half after the second yep. day of the draft. So it, they, it's they usually, decided to recompress the calendar. Exactly. Which I don't mind it um, because I, I do like it's basically a longer summer for us, right? We get an extra week of, yep. uh, of a recharge. Right. So, but yeah, by, by the time July 15th rolls around, everybody's signed and you're basically just counting the days down to training camp and you get two months to go golf and, you know, flesh out your beard a little bit and you get all sorts of fun. Charlie Romeliotis activities. <laughs> that could be a pretty crazy week, too, though, because think about it. If the Blackhawks get Connor Bedard two days later, like are Kane and Taves signing with another team? Are they re-signing with like that could be such a massive news cycle. For the Blackhawks, that Blackhawks trade back for Alex DeBrincat from the Senators since he hasn't signed a contract with them yet. <laughs> yeah, hey. Pierre, uh, apparently, Pierre Dorian was he was on the list of uh, team representatives that were in attendance for the Blackhawks LA game, and apparently, he had checked out an LA game on third or on Friday or on Thursday. So this was his second Kings game in a week. Someone did bring up to me on Twitter though that they saw Pierre Dorian at his at his son's hockey game in Ottawa on Sunday afternoon. So I don't know. I don't know if he was there or not. I wasn't in the press box to kind of keep an eye out because I was right. in the suite the whole time, but um, I think enjoying the free spread of food and stuff. Yeah. But <laughs> I think, I think I saw that Pierre Dorian is going to be at the, the Blackhawks game in Vancouver mm-hmm. on Tuesday. So it's like, all right, it was, is he hovering around the Blackhawks and King? Like, I don't know what's going on there. Speaking of Vancouver, and this is what we'll wrap up this podcast. Oh God. Now. Oh God. I okay. mean, what a dumpster fire. What a dumpster fire that that whole situation with Bruce Boudreaux. Did you hear the rumor on why um, it took so long for them to make the coaching change? Well, yeah, it's because Rick Tockett had a clause in his TNT contract that he had to give them four weeks notice before he took a coaching job. Yeah. So if that's the case, if that's true, why not hire an interim for those four weeks? It's almost like, James, here's my theory. It's almost like. Vancouver wanted to continue prolonging this losing so they could enhance their chances at the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Ooh. And do you know that? I don't know if I can't, I, I don't know if we've ever brought this 
up on this podcast, but did you know that Connor Bedard grew up a diehard Vancouver Canucks fan? The, how how the tables have turned. Apparently, he like likes their stuff on Instagram. And at the beginning of the year, there was like a TikTok video that went viral. Not viral, but it was like Con- asking Connor Bedard like who he thinks the Stanley Cup champions are going to be, and he said Vancouver. So it's just like everything is everything is Vancouver. Oh, so he's a deluded optimist then. Okay, that's good to know about the future. That could come in handy, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but what I mean, just what a I mean, what a circus that whole organization has been all season long and it feels like they just can't get out of their own way and it's crazy too because Jim Rutherford is now at the helm like you would think a guy of his experience coming off Pittsburgh like I'm like a model franchise over the last decade like I don't I don't understand like I don't understand why they felt this was the the best course of action honestly like I think any argument could have been made that Bruce Boudreaux could have been fired. Like, I don't think that, you know, his job should have been safe just because he's a decent guy. Like, that's not the way the NHL works. And yeah, it always sucks when a guy gets fired because those are human beings. They've got families. They've got all sorts of other concerns in their lives. But I just, to me, the whole thing just stunk. The whole thing with him, you know, just twisting in the wind for weeks about this whole thing. It was just a very, I, I, I hate using the word classless because I feel like people arguing about what's classy and what's not is one of the most boring things about the internet. But you're venturing pretty close to classlessness with the way that the Vancouver Canucks handled the Bruce Boudreaux situation. They did not treat him right as a person or as a hockey coach. And watching the way that the fans kind of embraced him as his time in Vancouver kind of came to an end, I thought that that heartened me a little bit. That made me happier to see that they were kind of embracing him and showing him that love like that at least put a little bit of a positive and a happy spin on what otherwise was just a completely ridiculous situation. And the Canucks, I know they wanted Rick Tockett and they had to go through the hoops to get him the four weeks. Never, you could have easily said, Bruce, get lost. I think Mike Yo is on their staff right now. Yeah. Just making the interim coach. How much better could they have possibly played over that stretch with Mike Yo at the helm? It's not like that magically fixes anything. Like, it doesn't really hurt the tank that much to have Mike Yo as the head coach. But I just, I thought they treated him very poorly, and it was not a good look for the Canucks organization at all. And I'm glad the fans embraced Bruce the way that he did. Like, yeah, it was time for him to go, but just the way they handled it was atrocious. And it was, it just annoyed me so much seeing how all of that went down. Yeah, you you said it you said it perfectly. Like it wasn't the fact that Vancouver wanted to make a coaching change and fire him, it was the way they went about it. Like they felt like they had made a decision weeks ago and they were just kind of dragging him through the mud. And it, it's not like it's just Vancouver's there's there's so much dysfunction in that organization too with just just go back to the offseason. It feels like or even last season when they made the coaching change from Travis Green to Bruce Boudreaux they've now they're making they've already made another coaching change so now they're paying three head coaches two of which are not even on the payroll anymore or two of which are are not even on on the uh on the staff anymore but then you think last summer it it was like a foregone conclusion that jt miller was going to walk like they were they were just going to let him you know go to free agency sign a con and then they do a complete 180 and they re-sign him to a long-term extension and now this year, they don't have room for Bo Horvat, 
And now they got to trade him. And Bo Horvat is probably a way better player that you want to build your team around uh, over. Probably. You know, and <laughs> and then uh, the Tanner Pearson, they, they like mishandled the Tanner Pearson injury, which led to Quinn Hughes calling out the Vancouver Canucks saying like, you know, we, we feel bad for Tanner because it, the way it was mishandled, it just, it feels like there's no, there's no structure in that leadership group. It's just, it's dysfunction after dysfunction. And so, again, like you said, it's Jim Rutherford. I would not have anticipated yeah. that happening. Yeah. Yep. Well, at least they brought the skate logo Jersey back. I thought those look pretty sharp. Agreed. All right. Hey, last thing before we wrap up, uh, recording this Monday, like just before noon and, um, the Blackhawks are recalling Luke Philp and Philip Roos from Rockford, and they're assigning Isaac Phillips and placing Tyler Johnson on injured reserve. So those are the two call-ups that are going to be happening for this three-game road trip for the Blackhawks. I know Kyle Davidson had talked uh, last week about wanting to give some other players down in Rockford a shot. We've obviously seen Philip Roos, uh, but we haven't seen Luke Philp yet. So that that's a that's a player that is probably going to see some some ice time on this three-game road trip for Chicago. So. We'll see, we'll see what they, the Blackhawks have in him. He's actually had a nice year. I think he leads the, the Rockford Icehawks in power play goals. So it makes sense why he's he's the the fill-in for Tyler Johnson because he's you know he, he could just step into that second power play spot. Yep, and that was definitely the big question we always had when Tyler Johnson would go out. How would you kind of structure the lineup? So that would make a lot of sense that that would be the replacement. It seems about as close as you can get to kind of a plug-and-play guy who's not going to provide everything Tyler Johnson provides, but at least it's not a complete like 180 from what you're expecting of him. So yeah, that is definitely a logical move for the Blackhawks to make. Right. I got nothing else, James. My only last comment is going to say, is that a Jack Johnson t-shirt? And is that Blackhawks defenseman Jack Johnson? Or is that the other Jack Johnson? You know, as much as I wish Jack Johnson, the Blackhawks defenseman, was a talented uh, Hawaiian musician, um, it is indeed uh, Jack Johnson of longtime musical fame. I got this at his uh, tour last season in Chicago. Last season, last year. Good God. I watch too much hockey, man. You're in hockey mode. Yep. (laughs) I love it. Good stuff, James. Um, That's going to do it for this edition of the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. For James, I'm Charlie. Don't forget to rate us, subscribe, and send us a little review on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. We'll catch you next time.